Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. This is Good Morning New York Real Estate, and I am Vince Rocco. On our show today, when most people consider buying residential property in New York City, their first question is whether they should purchase a unit at a cooperative, co-op, or a condominium. Uh, however, many purchasers are more interested in owning one of the many historic townhouses that can still be found throughout the city. But townhouses are relatively rare in New York City, making up uh, less than 2% of the annual residential transactions. As a result, many prospective buyers are unfamiliar with the unique considerations that apply to buying and owning one. But with a new normal in New York City coming up, have they become much more desirable? We will discuss all this <clears throat> and so much more as Good Morning New York gets underway on this Tuesday morning. We are live from New York City. New York City has long been a, a cheek-to-jowl town with cramped apartments and determined strivers. But starting in March, as the coronavirus outbreak here began, parts of the city emptied out with many leaving New York's wealthiest neighborhoods. Mail forwarding requests from the post office showed where a number of them went. Some abandoned the Upper West Side for sunny Miami. Others left Gramercy Park for New Jersey. Some left uh, Brooklyn uh, for points in California in March. The United States Post Office received 56,000 mail forwarding requests from New York City, more than double the monthly average. In April, the number of requests went up to 81,000, twice the number from a year earlier. 60% of those new requests for, for, were for destinations outside the city. The empty feeling is the most pronounced in Manhattan. In April, a little more than half of those requests for destinations outside New York City originated uh, from Manhattan, led by neighborhoods uptown west and uptown east. Many New Yorkers who fled their homes in the city moved to nearby areas in Long Island, New Jersey, and upstate New York. In New York City, where space comes at a premium, the, the townhouse is the closest thing many neighborhoods have to a single-family home. A townhouse is a multi-level residential structure that typically shares a wall with an adjacent building. It is narrower than a detached house, but usually offers outdoor space and autonomy from a co-op or condo board and from neighbors. Townhouses vary, vary widely, however, both uh, by building material and by architectural style. So as I said at the top of the show, a lot of people have left the city to go to points upstate New York, out of state, the Hamptons, the Catskills, etc., because uh, they wanted to be safe from uh, the pandemic that's happening. But what happens is most people become comfortable or more comfortable with more space. And so after every you know crisis we've had in New York City, 9-11, the financial crisis of 2008-9, people tend to want to flock to the suburbs. I say it's a temporary thing. I say it doesn't last long. Some people stay, most people come back. However, in multiple conversations I've been having recently with lots of uh, agent friends of mine uh, about townhouses in New York City, interesting theory. You know, townhouses were the rage uh, probably in 2013 to 15, 16. Prices were out of control. I kind of elevated the prices on the Upper West Side back in 2013, I think, when I listed an apartment on the Upper, uh, a townhouse rather, for 17, well, actually for $19 million, and we sold it for $17.5 million. And at the time, that was kind of a very high price that nobody really was interested in looking at. However, you know, many offers later, the house sold. And that went on for a long time. As we all know, the prices have plateaued, and they have actually started to come down. So I want to ask you guys, uh, you know, many people are rethinking the prospect of purchasing a townhouse because they don't really want to leave the city, but yet they want more space. And in the wake of the coronavirus, houses may be a safer bet for the future uh, as life as we know it changes in New York City. So, you know, what is the status uh, of the townhouse market as we speak today? Mike Lubin, what are your thoughts on the townhouse market today? Any whispers about people wanting to buy them over co-ops, condos, penthouses, et cetera. I completely agree with you. I think that may be the one sector of the market where we don't see prices decline. You know, for people to be able to shelter in place at home, have that outdoor space, the autonomy, not deal with, uh, 
you know, the inability to have trades, trades people come in and out. I think they're going to be really strong this year. I agree. Uh, Louise Phillips Forbes, you certainly have dealt with many townhouses. So, you know, what in your opinion was the reason that townhouse prices, you know, were, I mean, literally hit the ceiling and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, they started declining. Was it the fact that people didn't want to live in townhouses or was it the fact that uh, the prices had just gotten too high and like everything else in the New York City marketplace, they needed to level off? Uh, I, I think the, the initial ramp up in pricing for townhouses were really when you could see in people purchasing, you know, three to four to five family homes that were being offered vacant for the first time in 60 years. And they were like, well, if I'm going to pay this much in a co-op, you know, um, and I have to have post-closing a certain amount of money, I could purchase and have somebody work as an employee for me if I'm really concerned about not having an attendant. Um, in their lobby. So I, I, we saw this phenomenon happen actually is, you know, after I would say the early 2000s, they started because it was way undervalued. And I think that the value ramped up as the acceleration of our recovery happened from 2010, where I had a townhouse in 2015 that was worth 23, 24 million that in 2000, end of 16, beginning of 17, we actually sold it for 14. Mm-hmm. This is a 10,000 square foot house. So yeah. I, think the, I think that that phenomenon of people putting together massive homes and that McMansion sort of philosophy shifted a bit. Yeah, uh, listen, <clears throat> I'm old enough to remember, you know, when I was in college uh, in Westchester, um, I had a professor who said to a couple of guys in the class, hey, listen, so my wife and family and I are moving in New York City, you know, when I'm trying to enlist a couple of you guys to come down and kind of help us on the weekend, you know, with a van, blah, blah, whatever. So, I, you know, what do I know? I, I figured it was an apartment. So we show up, three or four of us in front of this beautiful townhouse on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, uh, which I knew a little bit about. Uh, and so, you know, I'm looking at this building and it was probably four or five stories. I don't remember all the details. And I did ask him, I, you know, we, we walked in, it was, you know, uh, you know, ground level. Uh, he had his office. He was a therapist and a professor or whatever. So he was using the ground level as a, uh, as a uh, office. And then the family would live upstairs. And I asked him how much he paid for it. Uh, you know, and he said, oh, we, we got a really good deal. We paid $150,000 for this house. And I thought, Wow, $150,000, you know, (laughs) when my parents are paying $30,000 for a house that they built and everybody else in those times, the most I would ever hear would $40,000. So here we are, big old Manhattan and a big old house that at the time I said, I would never live in this thing, $150,000. And so, you know, through the years, you've seen the escalation in pricing. God knows by the time he sold or passed on whatever, what he might have gotten for that, probably several million dollars. Hard to believe, but, you know, Louise, you're right. Back in those days, you know, the, the you know, in 13. And so um, I don't even know how I got $17.5 million for it. It was a 10,000 square foot house uh, and it was a beautiful house. I it know was, that house. Yeah, it was a I two remember. family that they brought back to a one family. So it had a couple of kitchens and had, you know, whatever, beautiful outdoor space. But I mean, $17.5 million. And now, you know, a couple of years ago, he said, well, I'm, I'm, I would like to list and sell because it's too big for my wife and I. First of all, two people bought this house to live in. Unbelievable. Uh, no kids, just two of them. And so I thought, well, all right, but the most I could probably list this for is, you know, 13 and a half, 14. So, of course, after screaming, yelling, pounding the table and jumping out the window, he's like, OK, well, we're not going to list it. Well, you know, what do you I do with that. But if you think, but but again, I, I'm 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 in the process of trying to. Uh, I'm working with somebody who's trying to acquire mm-hmm. a number of townhouses in East East Harlem specifically because they know that market quite well, and I find it so interesting that they are all kinds of sort of incentives that took place almost 20 years ago, 15 years ago, where if the owner lives in the building, then they had a a, 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 a housing loan, an HPD loan to purchase these homes. Their taxes are structured in a very low, 
manner and but you have to live in it so we're looking at something that somebody paid a hundred and twenty thousand dollars for it's a three-family home but they have to live in it and they took 18 years to pay off this loan and they still it will survive the loan being paid off i think it's just an interesting observation that i've i've witnessed ari i'm sure you've witnessed some of these things as well in brooklyn because i'm doing a deal right now in park slope where the owner last year, we just got an accepted offer yesterday. Congratulations. That's like giving birth. I was like in a, you know, gestational <laughs> period of 11 months. It felt like. Good stuff. But, but literally last year, that house had an offer. It's 21 footer, had an offer for 5 million. We're putting a deal together at four. So yeah. there is a correction. And I don't agree with you that it's not, you know, that, you know, Pam Liebman and, and, um, Howard Lorborg came on strong, like it's going to be a, it's going to be a frenzy. And I just don't buy it. I mean, look, money is money is money is money is money. And whether, you, you know, if they're, it's only 38% of the city is available to be bought. As I always say, you still have to have the top echelon that what happened yesterday is not worth it, what it was yesterday, today. And so this deal is a is a twelve percent reduction from pre COVID. Okay. I think that's what we're going to experience in the townhouse market across the board, and maybe more for certain niches. I'm curious right. to know we what are. Yeah, we, we, well, we'll get to that on the other side of the break. We have to take a break. Good morning, New York is just getting underway on this Tuesday morning. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back and we're talking townhouses today. And I've got Sean McPeak from Halstead, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, Ari Harkoff from uh, uh, Halstead, Anna Shagaloff from Ari Harkoff from Halstead, Anna Shagaloff from Halstead, Mike Lubin, Brown Harris, Stevens, Niall Lundgren from Compass, and Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead. So, um, Ari, I wanted to ask you, because uh, you not only uh, know the townhouse market uh, as well as everybody else here, but you also own one. So I wanted to ask you um, from the perspective of uh, the types of people, you know, the fa- who, who buys townhouses? You know, there used to be a time where they were families and there used to be a time where it was two 
and multi two families and multifamilies, and then it were you know celebrity types that they wanted anonymity, et cetera, et cetera. Then it got to a point where anybody who could afford one uh, would buy one. Uh, now it's kind of like all over the map. From your perspective, when you're showing homes, who what you know who is looking for them? And they don't, we don't have to worry about fair housing on on the radio, so don't worry about it. <laughs> who's who's looking at townhomes these days? Mm. Well, I mean, I think, you know, the townhouse market, it depends on the sub-market that you're in. So, you know, we have, like I'm an investor I'm representing right now, we're buying multifamily houses, typically two to four families in Bushwick. You know, it's about, you know, yield essentially. So that's one sub-market. You know, we easily talked about, you know, Park Slope. You think about like Brownstone, Brooklyn, Carroll Gardens, Cobble Hill, Brooklyn Heights, Park Slope, Fort Greene. Um, you're talking about essentially upwardly mobile young professional families, typically with children. Um, you look at uh, like sort of the secondary markets in Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy, Crown Heights, Prospect Leopard's Gardens, Windsor Terrace, what have you. You're talking about typically upwardly mobile, slightly more creative leaning young professionals who don't necessarily have the budget to be in the first tier of Brooklyn. Um, and then the Manhattan townhouse market is a different animal. I mean, Manhattan townhouse market is, you know, embassies and ultra wealthy and celebrities. And, you know, it's a different world with the exception of maybe like the East Village and Lower East Side. Um, but, you know, the Brooklyn townhouse market, you know, I've sold, sold a bunch of Manhattan townhouses, but the Brooklyn townhouse market, which is where I spend most of my time in, in the townhouse submarket, is primarily made up of people who probably 10 to 15 years ago would have left and gone to the suburbs, but now they're looking at the opportunity to essentially get a house, a yard, space, basement, et cetera, um, for a fraction of the cost of a condo or co-op from, from a caring perspective. Um, and the thing that we always talk about in terms of townhouses is that, you know, and one of the reasons that I bought one is it provides so much flexibility. I mean, so you can potentially add square footage, you can renovate, you can add a roof deck, you can finish the yard, you can turn it into a two family, a three family, you can finish the basement. Um, and you can do all of this out of the confines of a co-op or a condo board telling you what you can and can't do. And by the way, until the city decides to change the property tax code, you're being so undertaxed relative to the value of the property. Um, so, you know, you put all that together, I think, um, my takeaway is that the world is probably somewhere in between the two pieces of feedback, which is, I don't think townhouses are, um, immune from the price, uh, impact of this environment, but I also don't think they go down 12%. Um, I think the reality is probably somewhere in between, um, and, uh, you know, beyond that, it'll remain to be seen. And, and since we can talk about fair housing, I'll say, you know, school is a big piece of it. If school doesn't come back in the fall, that's going to have a big impact on the townhouse market. Uh, very true. So, guys, just in general, so, you know, when you're out there with your clients and they're, and they're uh, expressing an interest in either, you know, this is always one of the things that, you know, uh, I've used to run into. Uh, I want a penthouse or I want a townhouse. How do people make the decision on either? Niall, I mean, when, when someone says to you, well, you know, I like the, I like townhouse living, but I like penthouse living to me that they're, they're vastly different. Uh, but people do get stuck in that decision. How, how, you know, how do they, you know, get out of that and make the right decision for themselves? You know what I find is about security. You know, there are, there are buyers in the market who are concerned about the vulnerability. They feel that it's a security question. Security, so they feel more secure when they're in a penthouse than they do. How about services, guys? I mean, what you know? There, I was going to say. I think um, I think people have traded um, wanting a townhouse for wanting views and services. Especially, a lot of those townhouse owners are uh, pied a terres and they travel a lot. Mm -hmm. And having somebody to kind of you know be their security while they're away has become really valuable. Like received, like received packages, yeah. right? Have somebody at the door maintaining it. And I think Vince, you even had on that townhouse that you mentioned on the Upper East Side that you had, there was, um, in terms of like maintenance, didn't the owner have you or your partner Shane uh, shovel snow one time? I, there was like a story around that. Well, you know, he's a, he's a very important <laughs> kind of fellow. So all I'll say is this, <laughs> you know, we, we, we told him after we sold him the house that we would manage the house for, for them. Okay. You know, he was, you know, second or third in control of Goldman Sachs. I mean, he was a big to do. He didn't have time to do anything, nor did she. So we told him that we would, we would do all this stuff. So, you know, they closed, I don't know. Yeah. They closed in like 
or early February, right before a snowstorm. So before we can get a super on board and, and, and a handyman and, and whatever else, we had a snowstorm. So Shane was good enough <laughs> to go to the hardware store and buy a shovel. Who in New York City apartment owns a shovel? You know, I <laughs> he goes to the hardware store and buys a shovel. He takes a picture and sends it to me. And I said, Shane, why do you think you're going to shovel with that? Are you, in, are you out of your mind? He said, well, what am I supposed to do? So we could at least, you know, get the, the sidewalk shoveled and the steps shoveled and, and whatever else. And I thought, well, all right, so this is something. Uh, go, to fit, go to find out, you know, later, you know, that um, there are rules with shoveling snow and you can't throw it all on the sidewalk. He didn't care where we threw it. He just threw it off the steps and onto the sidewalk. So all of the neighbors started complaining. Long story short, once we got them situated and we got a super hired and everybody else in place, um, things leveled off and they pay a staff. They've got a super who comes two or three days a week to do things like that, rake the leaves, you know, take care of the backyard, uh, the garbage um, and whatever else they need. And by the way, and we'll get into this a little later too, when we talk about the intricacies of owning a townhouse, the house we sold them did not have a, a, an official CO. It still had a TCO after like 10 or 15 years. Uh, the previous owner, my seller, uh, it was a direct deal for me. Uh, the seller uh, was in the process of finalizing a TCO. I'm sorry, a CO. And then he decided to sell it and leave. So we got stuck with not only you know that nonsense, which by the way took let's see, it took over five years to get the permanent CO for that house. All kinds of inspection. Not uncommon. Yeah. Once the elevator was inspected, you know, three years went by, it had to be inspected again. I mean, it's a disaster. Department of Buildings in New York City is an absolute madhouse, 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 madhouse. So anyway, five years to do that. But what we, what, what a lot of people don't understand, I guess the point of the story is when they buy a home, it's like buying a home in the, in the burbs. You have to maintain this. So my question to all of you is, you know, who maintains the property, you know, for, for these people? I just said, this guy hired a super for outdoors. But when you're living in 10,000 square feet, I mean, that on five or six levels, that's a lot of house. There's so, a wonderful business. What's this problem right now? Yeah, really, seriously. Mike, go ahead. I had a septic backup in my head, yeah, so it, you deal with it yourself. <laughs> There's a great service. If I think you're qualified to do that, some of these people don't want to take that on, believe me. Um, there's that service called Top Hat, and they're wonderful. You could either pay for daily maintenance. They'll literally come and uh, collect your mail and, and uh, help uh, coordinate a cook, you know, or they'll come once or twice a week and handle garbage and recycling. And it's quite reasonable. I think they started a few hundred, uh, a, few hundred a week to thousands, you know, depending on yeah. how much you need. <clears throat> but I, and also sometimes hiring a doorman of a local building. You know, yeah. and they might like, or, or, you know, one of the porters from a building. Sorry, Anna, go ahead. Go ahead, Trace. Oh. Oh, sorry, I just say sometimes, yeah, exactly. The level of service you can have in this concierge-friendly world, just living in a townhouse doesn't mean you have to sacrifice services. I even have clients who put in virtual doormen in this, you know, four or five-story level so they can, you know, receive packages, let someone in, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be that different from a full-service building. You can also have somebody that's kind of grandfathered with it. So whoever whoever you're buying it from, they they had somebody taking care of it, and that person knows the house. Yes. They can you know just hire that same person and use I was, it. I was just going to say that that interestingly, um, I think I don't think I can think of a house at all that I have sold that did not come with the the guy on the street that did three other. I mean, to the point that I sold something on Eighty Seventh Street that they had somebody rotating, moving people's cars and parking them on the other side of the street. Mm. There were like nine townhouses that all had cars. And this one person that took care of all nine of those houses also moved their cars. That's a service that should just be offered. Yeah, right. <laughs> not just, not just for You're right. Well, you know, there, there are people in my neighborhood who do that. They run around and they move people's cars back and forth or alternate street of the uh, parking and they, they make pretty good money. They do it for yeah. a couple hours in the morning before they go off to do other things. It's like, like a dog walker. I mean, they're making yeah. a fortune. Uh, Ari and I <clears throat> just uh, worked earlier this year. We feel like another one we gave birth to that deal <laughs> on, on Hoyt Street, which was a townhouse <laughs> that was converted to a condominium. And it had two parking, it had three parking spaces Yep. And it's pretty amazing, you know, parking, particularly in Brooklyn and also in Harlem, quite frankly, 
is is quite a prize and a nice income for many. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, <clears throat> yeah there, there are all kinds of concerns. And, you know, when you're maintaining a house, like I said, inside and outside, full-time staff, this particular, you know, owner of ours has full-time staff, full-time housekeeper, full-time super, you know, uh, uh, handy people all over the place. And there's been a lot of traffic inside uh, the house uh, the past five years because of the uh, the certificate of occupancy because you've got all kinds of inspectors going in and taking care of things. I think one of the things that, like I said before, people don't realize when they purchase a home in New York City, it's like buying a house. And if the house needs maintenance and the house needs repair, you know, that's a lot of money on top of the a lot of money that you've already spent for it. So I guess if you could afford one, you buy one. I think townhouse living is incredible. Uh, I would love to be able to afford to live in one one day. Uh, and Ari, when we come back from the break, I want you to take us through a little bit. We're going to talk about, you know, COs and violations and surveys and, and FAR and renovations. And you've certainly had your share of all that <laughs> over the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, but because again, people don't realize a lot of these homes are also in not good condition. So we've got to take care of all of that. Anyway, before we go to break, a, a word from our sponsor. Right now, everyone is spending most of their days on social media. So it is a perfect time for real estate brokers to get in front of their sphere of influence. Very Social is here to help you engage your audience sensibly, uh, yet powerfully in these unprecedented times. You do not need to go silent or to be serious, but rather empathetic and think of the needs of your customers. It's not business as usual for anyone right now, so we recommend pivoting from your typical marketing messages. Instead, emphasize the personal connection of social media and engage your audience with messages of compassion and have fun with it. Very Social can help you create a plan of action to post timely, meaningful content on your behalf. They are offering a free consultation when you mention this show, Good Morning New York Real Estate, be very social. Be part of the conversation. For more information, contact wearevery.social.com at 561-405-0945 or on the website wearevery.social.com. And with that, we'll go to break and we'll be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand, all from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and we're talking to Sean McPeak, Tracy Hammersley, Ari Harkov, Anna Shagalov, Mike Lubin, Niall Lundgren, and Louise Phillips-Forbes. Our topic today is townhouse living in New York City. And as I said at the top of the show, there seems to be a pent-up demand or at least interest in conversation of people not only coming back to the city, but staying in the city, more space and townhouses might be that option. Uh, And as one of my panel members said earlier, you know, prices have been down uh, and they potentially might start going up again, like everything else with supply and demand. All right, guys, so a townhouse will have its own certificate of occupancy, unlike a condominium unit or a co-op, because as I keep saying, it's like a house. So what is the permissible use of each floor in the townhouse? So Ari, I know that you just uh, bought and renovated a townhouse. It's taken you a couple of years to get that complete. Actually, my first question to you, is it complete by now? It is complete, yes. Wow. Thank goodness. Perfect. All right. It's just in time, right? Oh my goodness! I timed it very well. Yeah, Wait, you really are did. Are you having another baby? <laughs> I am having another baby. Yes. <gasps> oh are? my God! You are an announcement on Good Morning New York. Oh yes. wow! Right. About the COVID current situation. Yeah, it's a COVID. We're gonna name. We're gonna name the baby Corona. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Congratulations <laughs> to the Harkovs. Oh, that's you do? Fantastic news. When is the baby due? Uh, November. Nice. See, hold on. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> that's a corona baby, baby. Boomer, baby boomer. oh my god that's fantastic news Ari thank great you. thank you all right so look you're the pro what 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 uh what does it take to get each of the floors I guess in your home usable did you have to add on with the FAR allowance or did you not have to do that uh I, I personally didn't um people certainly do so you know uh, I mean it when it comes to added square footage, the first thing to think about is whether or not you're in a landmark district. So if you're in a landmark district, there are all kinds of regulations. You know, LPC, um, Landmarks Preservation Committee, has regulation over anything that's visible from the street. Uh, however, they also have boilerplate um, regulation even over interiors and on the back of the house. If you want to add, even if you have the, you know, the allotted FAR, you may not be able to use it unless there's precedent on the block. Um, typically speaking with most townhouses, getting an extension off the first or second floors is the easiest thing to do. Adding to the roof or adding, um, you know, an extension the full way up the back of the house can be quite difficult. Um, but again, it all depends on landmarks. And so, for example, like one of the things that landmarks will have you do is a site test where they'll have you essentially, uh, you or your architect will take pictures from all the various corners around the house from blocks, you know, a block away to see if if you were to add even like condensers for, you know, HVAC, if you could see them from the street anywhere. I mean, it, it's insane. It's insane. Um, they also will have you sometimes do a mock-up right. of whatever the setback is. Which yeah, you have to build a, like a, a cardboard a structure. Mock-up. Yep. Yeah. 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 It's nice. Um, so I personally did not add square footage. I know a lot of people who have, um, obviously when you add square footage, it brings in a whole other structural element. You've got to add additional foundation, uh, footings. It's a big, big job. So we did not do that. Um, 
we did an interior renovation, but certainly many people do. Um, you know, the, the LPC approval process is a solid six months, and then you figure DOB is a couple months, depending on what you're doing. So, you know, I think the first thing that people underestimate with townhouse renovations is that it can take you a year before you've even lifted a hammer. Um, and so they underestimate the, the permitting process, not to mention, you know, selecting your team, putting plans together, submitting the plans, going back and forth, working with your designer, architect, contractor. I mean, you know, that in and of itself can be six to nine months. So, yeah. you know, it's a very lengthy process. Um, the good news about a townhouse renovation is you don't have the restrictions of a co-op or a condo telling you, you know, you can't work these days, you can't work these hours. You know, you have to abide by city guidelines, but you don't have the added layer of building guidelines. Um, so, you know, that is helpful. The flip side is, um, you know, townhouses have what are called party walls, you know, the walls that are shared between um, adjoining buildings. And you can, if you're lucky and you have good neighbors, that's great. If you're unlucky, you know, you're going to get a lot of calls to 311 and you can have issues. Um, so, you know, overall, you know, the biggest issue I think with townhouses is because they're such old structures, you have to work around a lot of existing issues that are really unforeseen until you get going. Um, you know, so the joists in these townhouses run side to side. They're all old wood joists. They can be rotted. They can be have water damage. They can have termite damage. And you don't know any of that until you open up floors and really see what's there. Um, Let's talk but, a little bit about landmarks, though, Ari, because, yeah. you know, landmarks, uh, I don't know if yours fell into a landmark district, but, you know, landmarks can be an issue. Mm -hmm. uh, I was uh, representing another townhouse on the Upper West Side. I think it was on 85th Street years back, and um, it was a complete gut. It was taken from a multifamily back to a single family, and they had removed the stoop way back in the 60s and 70s yeah. when that was very popular. Mm -hmm. And so the uh, contractor wanted, the developer wanted to put the stoop back and make it a typical uniform Upper West Side Street looking townhouse. And it took them a year to get that approval from Landmarks, first turned down several times, finally uh, got approved. And, you know, so my question is on the Landmarks is like, what, you know, what is the backlog? What takes so long? So there are a couple of things with landmarks. So first of all, they're using black and white tax lot photos from the 1930s to determine what is or isn't historically contextual. So, um, you know, for example, like we had a fight with our preservationist over the trim around our windows and she said the trim needed to be dark brown. And we said, no, we want it to be black. And she said, no, in the photo, it's brown. And we said the photo's black and white, you know, as an example, I swear to God. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. Go figure, right? It's it's incredible. Um, did you get, did you get the there are like real problems in this city, but apparently not. Um, did you win? So did you prevail? We did prevail. Uh, we did prevail. Um, so they're they're basing the historical context off of 1930s tax lot photos that are black and white. That's the first thing. The second thing is um, you know you're dealing with volunteers. So the people that are preservationists are not paid; they're volunteers. Yeah. And like the woman that we were dealing with had a stack of like 250 applications on her desk. So if you don't get through that round, you get pushed to the bottom of the stack. Um, you know, it's it's really messy, um, and it can also sometimes feel somewhat arbitrary. You know, in it's terms totally of like totally arbitrary. Yep. It's a left uh, of the draw. It totally is. Um, the other thing that's really crazy about landmarks, not to go off on a landmarks tangent, is if you're applying to do work in your property, they can say yay or nay, but the property across the street can have their stoop painted green and purple, and they can have all their windows yellow, and they can't force someone to do work who isn't planning to do work because they can't essentially impose a financial burden on people. So, you know, people that are investing money are put under this like massive amount of scrutiny, but people who did work pre-landmarks, you know, they can have a purple facade on a landmark block. It's so very weird. When did, when did, uh, I, I remember very specifically, if anybody remembers when on the Upper West Side, when West End Avenue became 765 buildings became landmarked. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, was 100% because the president of Landmarks, who was an attorney, there were two townhouses right next to his building in a doorman co-op that were going to be developed. They were going to be torn down and developed. So he pulled Landmarks. No way. I swear. 
And so yeah. 765 yeah. buildings became landmarked uh, from 106th Street to 70th Street on West End Avenue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seems like an abuse of power. Just saying. Oh, How God. long ago was that, Louise? I remember that. How long ago was that? It was t- before 2006 because I was yeah. converting 595 West End Avenue and 905. And yeah, yeah, I was in the bu- I was in the business, and I do remember that. And it seemed a little odd to me. But a question to all of you: You know, when when you're when you're out with a a, a townhouse buyer, townhome buyer, whether it's in Manhattan, Brooklyn, whatever. What, you know, do they take into consideration, like Ari just you know, went through the, the renovation process that took a while, do they take that into consideration? Because typically if you're buying a house, you know, you're really not going to get into it at least for a year, maybe longer. It depends on what needs to happen there. Do they factor this in and do they, where do they stay in the interim? Um, I have to say that, you know, thankfully, because of my experience with construction, I have you know, I would say 20 years ago, I probably didn't manage people's expectations. But 20 years ago, it was a very different process. Um, But I do think that um, I have not found landmarks, by the way, Ari, to be six months. I found landmarks, I mean, I've had one instance that it was six months. For the most part, it's 40 to 60 days. Wow. If you have the right expediter. If there's, if there's, um, I forget what the specific terminology is, but there's like a staff level approval, which is, which is what you're talking about, which is essentially you're not doing anything to the exterior. But if you're doing any exterior work, I think it's always six months. Um, or at least that's, you know, the general rule of thumb that you budget. Um, but it depends what you're doing. Like if you're touching windows, if you're touching the facade. Talking about, yeah. Glass curtaining the back of a building, which was. Yeah, that's, so the back of the building, even though. They have a rubber stamp approval and they can look at precedent. The glass curtain shouldn't fall under full guidelines because it doesn't um, impact the street level view. That was my experience. Yeah. All right, guys, we have to go to break. Uh, Before the break, a program note, our own Niall Lundgren, star of the new Bravo series, F Get Away. (laughs) Yay, Niall. Episode three aired last night, uh, Mondays at 10 p.m., on the Bravo Network. Stay tuned for that. And Are you paying up, for that marketing? We're going to continue our conversation. But first, <laughs> this is Good Morning New York Real Estate on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with our fabulous panel here. So, I want to talk a little bit uh, about the market in general uh, in our last ep- in our last. Um, uh, segment here. So from your perspective, what are you seeing? I will tell you, I'm seeing, uh, it, it seems like as each week goes by a little more of an uptick and a little more of an uptick and a little more of an uptick, which is not a bad thing. Um, 
But what are you all seeing out there uh, as we continue to be locked down in real estate here until at least June 13th these days? What's happening? I think something that's really dramatic, the over $4 million market, you know, thank you, Don Olshan. Yeah. I was, I was curious. So May uh, last year, 2019, over $4 million sales, there were 27 contracts signed. Same week, last week, two. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. You know, I think that market is really affected right now. I'm finding that all, every one of my apartments that I manage, every rental, every rental but one is renegotiating or not coming back. Yeah, I, 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 there, there's, I have not had any renegotiation. um, I don't want to jinx myself. Yeah, knock on wood, but not that they're all happening. A lot of them are falling apart, but, but the renegotiation, renegotiation aspect has really been very, very little, uh, whether it's rental or, or sale, but are you seeing people still, uh, nervous and reluctant to want to move forward because they just don't know what tomorrow is about, or is it just, they're still concerned about pricing? We still know that we don't know. We can't say. I mean, I think all of us have have come to that conclusion. I feel safe in saying that in the next two to three months, I think we'll see a lot more. And then that kind of extended opportunistic period will go for another six to nine months, say. But I think everyone's still, you know, the stock market is up, it's down. Unemployment is down, down, down. You know, they have a vaccine. It might be another year. There's still so much uncertainty. And I still have clients who are, are not coming back to work in a physical office location I, every year. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree with you, Tracy. Um, but I, I also I had a conversation yesterday with a client who has been you know, renting a house up in Woodstock and they came back to the city to pick up a couple of things for their kids, for their family. And they've always thought that they'd be leaving the city just in general to get a house. And they're feeling so isolated that when they come back to the city, they're feeling revived and their kids are now saying that they don't want to, they don't want a house. And before they did. So people are having experiences now that might actually go the other way, make the city more important to them. I've been in the city the whole time and I kind of, you know, I mean, in Seward Park where I live, we've got a lot of ground. So we've got opportunities to go outside. We have our own backyard kind of. Um, so uh, we've been loving it and, and been perfectly fine. So there are other perspectives than fleeing Manhattan. Agreed. I mean, I, if you think of like all the people who are working from home who are like, this is awful. I don't want to do this. Awful. It's terrible. I want to go back to the office. Yes. I, and I, I was I, gonna, go ahead. I would say, Louise, it, it, the one challenge that New York City has that no one's talked about is transportation. How do we move around the city? Well, that's it. Subway. Who's taking Uber? No one's taking the subway. I mean, bikes. That's the big challenge. You know, like other markets across the country, they've reopened and they're booming, like bidding wars, crazy showings. Chicago. But how do we get around? That's I think that's the biggest challenge. That's a a very important point. Than an Uber Uber, because no one's on it. You don't have to touch anything. I mean, Uber has a glass panel between the driver and the passenger, but you don't know who's been back there. Touching yep. the handle, all of that. I'd rather be on a subway right now. Yeah, I hear you. I, I will just add to They don't want traders to take public transportation before they come to work. That's their official policy in the next couple of weeks when they what reopen. What was that? The New York Stock Exchange won't allow traders to take public transportation yeah. to the trading floor. Yeah. So you have to take private vehicle to get down there. I've already laid policy. out my driver to pick up everybody. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> but I heard I'll take my address. Just yeah. okay. Just to just to add to what Ari was talking about, our you know, I think that that long term buyers, you know, for people that I'm working with that have a ten to fifteen year plan in what they're trying to purchase, they want to take they want to be opportunistic, but they're in the deal a hundred percent. Yeah. And I will also say that yesterday I was on the phone with somebody I'm negotiating. He was like, I need to get off the phone. The market's up a thousand points. I need yeah. to, I need to go make, I got to sell some stocks. Yeah. So I just think that more is going to be revealed and we just have to look at history for, for human nature. I think it's going to be, be bits and yeah, it's going to be bits and pieces, but you know, as long as it you know uh, moves along the right pathway. But I agree with uh, Ari and with a lot of you were saying about the transportation. It's honestly one of my concerns. Can't wait to get back. Can't wait to you know go back to the grind and do what we have to do. I mean, it's like oh my god, oh my god, what the hell has happened in the past three months? 
But I sit there and I think, I live on the Upper West Side. My office is in the West Village. How the, I mean, the, the Central Village. How the hell do I get there? The train is the easiest way to get there. I don't know that I want to do that. Uh, my shared via car. I think my shared via car story is a long gone. I don't oh, think. no. <laughs> oh, no. I don't think I want to get in a shared via car if that's even going to be working anymore. So, I mean, who knows? You know, who knows? Because, you know, they are shutting down the subway from 1 to 5 a.m. every day. This thing has never been so clean. You can't tell me that the limited number of people that are riding are doing such damage and spreading disease in a short amount of time. And if you are all on with masks and gloves, if that makes you feel comfortable, yeah, yeah. when I go back to the city, I'll be riding the subway. It is the most convenient. I, I took my first city. Um, yes, I'll do shared cars or car service for clients, but. I, it's I, 95 I, degrees out in July. It's a hard pass wearing a mask downstairs in the subway. <laughs> in the yeah. subway and, and, walk, and gloves. I'll walk, walk 22,000 steps a day anyways. Cares. Yeah, I, I'm thinking more about walking, uh, which is better exercise anyway for any of us. Right. So I think Don't that that's probably. Don't try to buy a bike, by the way. <clears throat> Your bike yeah. is going to be like five months back order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, everything is on back order, but you're right. You're not going to be able to do that. But I think, you know, to, to you know, kind of summarize that the, the whole how do we get back situation in this town only because we're so unique about everything. It's about transportation and yeah. it's, it's going to be about transportation. And those who want to get on the train will get on the train. Those who don't won't, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Also, I'm not so sure that all, all, all of the offices are going to be open. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes that uh, kind of say the offices may stay closed permanently and, you know, people will work uh, virtually as much as they can. Who knows? It's all the new normal. That's uh, we got to wait and see what it, what it all, or how it all flushes out. I, I was on a client quickly uh, with Cartier that, that works for Cartier and they're closing their corporate office until January 21. Yeah. Wow. So NBC is doing the same thing. All Facebook, they're all until next year. Yeah, my nephew works at NBC and he's closed until next year. He can't go back to his office. I think they said until February of 2021, and he okay. works in Stamford at NBC. So that might it's, change, though. They're saying that now, but they might. Yeah, September, yeah. October. You, you never know. That might change after the summer, depending on how everything goes. Right. That's correct. Well, right, exactly. That, that's why I keep saying you don't know until you know. We know so. what we don't know. <laughs> we know. <laughs> So you, from, from your perspective, in 30 seconds that we have left, everything seems to be, I mean, tracking to a good start whenever that start happens, right? I mean, I would say that that's I mean, what I'm I, seeing. I just want to say I love these stories like Anna and Ari and what you guys are saying. It's up to us to spread the message. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. The media loves to say, oh, New York, this time it's done for. No one's going to want to come back to New York. Well, guess what? New York is still New York. It is still the greatest city in the world. Yes, it, it is. is. Right? Yes, it ah, is. That's what's Amen. up, Tracy. It is yeah. the greatest city in the world. It's going nowhere. Going nowhere. Going All right. It's All right. There's, 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 there's our final word of the day. Going nowhere. That is our broadcast for today. Thanks for joining us. You can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, at Vince Rocco. Stay home. Stay safe. Stop the spread and be kind to one another. Keep your eyes on the stars, but keep your feet on the ground for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Good luck and be well. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.